Well, you do have a courageous pastor, don't you? He, he, uh, he must really care about you guys. Uh, talking about change is not the easiest thing uh, for a pastor to do. It's much easier to just have free pizza and get lots of people in. Uh, so as we ask for you to make decisions in your life that make you better, it, it is it is challenging, and my life is really about making it easier, that whether it's a lifestyle change, whether it's nutrition or fitness, or whether it's about your relationship with God, I I want it to be uh, lighter, not harder. We try to do this with our kids from the very beginning, so I I have a couple little kids that'll be here at the the service at 11. My six-year-old said this morning, I don't want to hear daddy preach, so that's, that's what I have to deal with. And so we have, uh, we have tried to get them eating well from the beginning, and it's really difficult. So I, I understand the challenge. So, the, you know, at the school, they have a birthday party virtually every week at somebody's party. And our kids know they're not allowed to eat the cake and the ice cream and the things that they give out every week. So I've turned my kids into pathological liars. They, they just don't tell us. And then when they, go to the, when they actually go to a party, you know, it, it's, it's really amazing what happens at the end. Every party at the end, you get this frozen sugar milk with this frozen or the sugar bread and they send them home and we have these completely different kids acting in a completely different way and so we know that to get them doing the right thing uh, from the very beginning is tough but it gets it doesn't get any easier when you get older and so I want you guys to begin looking at this from a, a standpoint of winning my race that there really is a, a destiny to fulfill. There really is a, a purpose to achieve. And the idea is we do need the time, the energy, and the discipline to do it. So I know that for time's sake, uh, if you perish or die too early, then that would stop you from fulfilling your destiny. But energy is the other part of that. So sometimes time management is really energy management. Do you have enough energy in the day to do the things that you want to do? So many people come home at night and don't have the energy to really be there for their kids or for their, their spouse. Uh, some, some people don't have the energy at work to really do the job they want to do or maybe the energy to exercise. You can't sleep at night or you can't wake up in the morning. So energy is a big part of achieving God's purposes. And then the discipline. And we're going to get into that this morning. How do we get the mindset to be able to do these things effectively and consistently over the, the long haul? That's, uh, those three things, that's my ministry. When I look at Jesus' ministry, he had literally an autobiography, something he said uh, was a description of what he was here and what he had been doing. So if you look in Matthew 11, John the Baptist is in jail. And so he's wondering, did I pull it off? Did I fulfill my destiny? And so he sends his guys to go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we be expecting somebody else? And so Jesus gives this description of his ministry that I call the second hand of the gospel. He says, well, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the leper is cured. He says that the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, and that the gospel is preached to the poor. And that word poor, you know, can mean poor financially. It could be destitute. It could be poor spiritually. It could just be down and out at work, you know, anything related to poor. And this is how he described his ministry. This was his work. And we call it the second hand of the gospel, which is the compassion side of gospel. Of course, the first hand of the gospel is just Jesus himself. But it's no surprise that he would describe his work as caring about you. He cares about how you're doing. He says, I came here to help you. If you notice, 83.3% of that, five out of six, were about your health because if your health is failing, 
then obviously you're not praying for anything else. I have a, a friend of mine whose daughter has cancer, a little three-year-old girl. He's just praying for one thing, her health. Health is that important. And so we are going to be focusing on that. And I'm going to use the context of a talk I did for FCA Wrestling. If you know about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, they have a wrestling division. They have divisions for the different sports. And I did this talk for the kids. I, I, I'm a wrestler. I've been, I wrestled all my life. I still do some wrestling at 47 years old. And the idea of, of this concept is that we get an unfair advantage. Learning how to, what I call fight unfair, being an unfair fight. So not that you're cheating in the fight, but that you have an unfair advantage. As Christian people, shouldn't we have an unfair advantage in the things that we're doing? I mean, shouldn't there be a slight edge because you're with Jesus? So whether you're in a wrestling match or you're doing what the Bible tells us to do, you're fighting the good fight of faith, uh, you're fighting for your cause, uh, you're looking to raise good kids, you're trying to have a strong marriage, uh, you're trying to do well at work, you're trying to launch a ministry, you're trying to be a, a good member of the church. Uh, there, there's a fight that we're involved in, and there's a lot that opposes that, isn't there? I mean, it's not easy. Anybody having an easy time of, of all these things? Um, if you are, you probably should uh, be talking instead of me, because it, it, it's not easy, but we want to know we have an advantage. So I'm going to give you some extremely practical things this morning. Three steps. I'm going to do the classic uh, three things that you need to do in order to have this unfair advantage. The first one really has to do with your mindset. So when I wrestled in college, my very first match, um, I was the last seed in a tournament. And so that meant I I had to wrestle the best guy in the tournament. And my coach was an Olympic team coach, amazing coach. And as I walk out there, I'm thinking, I hope this guy has some brilliant magic to give me because I'm now considered the worst guy in the whole tournament and I have to wrestle the best guy in the whole tournament, this monster um, from the army wrestling team. And I walk up to him and I'm thinking, here comes some brilliant thing that's going to help me defeat this Goliath I've got to go up against. And he just goes, win it. (laughs) And and so I'm literally walking out in the mat and I look back, I'm like, Win it? That's what he had? Like, that, that's it? Win it? And what's interesting, though, by the time I got to the center of the mat, I thought, well, he's a great coach, so if he thinks I can win it, then maybe I can win it. And I actually went out, and I beat this guy. And I realized later on, we had to wrestle again, and he realized, okay, maybe this last seat isn't so bad, and he killed me. But at that moment, I thought I could win it, and I did. And in winning minds, it's really important. Now, obviously, it's easier said than done. I remember years ago when the Detroit Lions, just a few years ago, went 0-16. And about the 14th game, they were 0-14 or so, and, they're, and they're, they're looking good and they're beating the other team. And the announcer says, you know, here's the thing. When, when you haven't won a single game, you get this losing mindset. And so you'll see what will happen probably. They may blow one play or something will go wrong and they'll go, oh, here we go again and they'll lose the game. And sure enough, they did and, and lost all their games that season. So we need a winning mindset. And that really is the whole winning my race principle, the, the whole book and program we're talking about coming back and doing in February. The whole idea behind it comes out of Hebrews 12.1 where it's saying, run the race with endurance, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, to go and sit down by the right hand of the throne of God. That's the winning mindset that we're talking about here in step one. So think about what it says there. So 
first of all, focused on Jesus. If you're in a, you know, say you're trying to lose weight, eat well, if you're doing it just to look good in your bikini or your Speedo, that usually doesn't work out that well. In fact, I do want to mention, since we're near the beach, nobody looks good in a Speedo. So unless you're planning on using that professionally, like Olympic swimming or diving or something, I prefer you don't wear one at all. Uh, I actually was at a pool uh, when my son was four a couple of years ago, and we ran across a guy in a Speedo, and before I could, you know, block his eyes, he says, you know, what happened to the rest of that man's bathing suit? <laughs> I'm thinking, we, don't, we have certain cartoons we don't even let him watch, and he has to see this, but we, we, we don't quite get it done when we're doing it for how we look, do we? Because obviously everybody wants to look great, but so few people are able to stick to their diet, so that's not why we do things. The reason we, we want to focus on Jesus, it says, is because he endured the cross. He scorned the shame. So for our redemption and to go sit down by God, he was willing to go through some challenging times. So I figure I can make it to church. I could read books on parenting. I can go to couples retreats. I can get up the morning, in the morning and go jogging if Jesus can do that. That's why the Bible says focus on him. And finally, it, it, it says, you know, have a goal. So Jesus had this amazing goal, our redemption for the people he loved, sitting down with God in heaven. He had an amazing goal. We've got to be thinking about that. So when I woke up this morning, like I always do, I generally get up about 4, 30, 5 o'clock. How many of you love to get up really early in the morning and work out and, uh, you know, and then do your prayer time? You love to get up early and work out. How many of you? So there's like four or five freaks in the room. I, it occurred to me the other day, I've been doing this for 20 years, somewhere between about 4.30 and 5.30, I've gotten up six days a week to exercise, and it occurred to me the other day that I've hated it every single time, that when that alarm goes off, not one time have I been excited. However, I do it anyways. In fact, we, we call it the snooze button, and we call it the Satan button. And I do it anyways because I know what I'm doing it for. You know, I'm brilliant at that time in the morning. Anybody see uh, Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting? Have you guys seen that movie? I'm like, you know, how he figures out the, the complex math problem at MIT on the whiteboard in the movie? That's me at 4.30 in the morning. I can hit that snooze button, and those things are nine minutes. I can recalculate my entire day in about four seconds. And the time it takes me to smack the thing, I could already take seven seconds off of each meeting until five o'clock that afternoon so that I can get away with nine more minutes of sleep. In fact, if I divide by pi, I can do it twice. And so nobody wants to do it, but I also know that I want to be here and healthy for my family. I know I need the energy and strength to do this kind of work. I've been traveling all over the world this year and written a couple more books this year and lead a lot of doctors and have a lot of things to do, and I want to play baseball every night with my son. That requires that exercise every morning, so I almost never hit the snooze button. I know that I wanted to be energetic for you guys today, so I got up and I, I ate the thing that I, you know, I just like you would rather eat the carbs and the junk food, but I did my, my normal healthy breakfast because I wanted to be alert for you guys. There's a reason I do it that gets me up in the morning, and we need the same thing. Because if it was up to me, it'd be snooze button all day long, it'd be fruity pebbles for breakfast, you know, those are the things I prefer. I'm getting ready for a marathon in January, and it says run the race with endurance. And, you know, in the middle of that marathon, at some point, 15, 16 miles, I've done a couple of these before, my brain is going to say, um, this is horrible, you'll never make it, you certainly can't keep this pace up. That's where your mind goes, no matter how well you've prepared. But it's interesting, once you can hear the finish line, anybody ever run races 
and you're tired and you don't know if you can keep it up and then you can hear the people screaming at the finish line. You can hear the announcer announcing people coming across. And once that happens, I found I'm not tired anymore. No matter how much pain I was in, once I can hear the finish line, never mind once I can see the finish line, my energy comes back. So we gotta stay focused on Jesus. He's the guy that wrote the book on perfect faith if we wanna have this winning mindset. The second part of this is really critical. It's choosing the right side. You got to pick the right side. If you know about the Civil War, that's when uh, the North fought the South, and the South was fighting to keep their slaves, and the North was fighting for equality among men. And Lincoln is looking at the battlefield and looking at both sides praying before the fight. And he says, well, that's interesting. You got fellow countrymen, same religion, praying to the same God, I wonder who's going to win. And it occurs to him, it doesn't matter so much whether or not you want God to be on your side. What really matters is whether or not you are on God's side. There's a couple examples of this in the, in the Bible. So in Joshua, in 5, 13, 14 there, it's right before the battle of Jericho, and the angel of the Lord appears to Joshua. And Joshua says, hey, are you on our side? Is God on our side? And the angel says, no. He goes, but I'm the leader of God's army. It just so happens this time you're on God's side, so you're in luck. And sure enough, God tears the walls of Jericho down just from a little marching around, and they win the battle. Another example of this is in 2 Chronicles 15-20 with King Jehoshaphat. They're about to go against an enormous army that they couldn't possibly beat on their own, and God says to him, you don't have to worry about this vast army. The battle is not yours, it's mine. Just get to the desert of Jeruel, stand firm, and I'll win this battle for you. And sure enough, when they get there, they get to the battlefield, and God's already wiped out the entire vast army. The whole enemy is gone. And so if we're on the right side, not only will we have his reinforcements, he'll even win some of the battles for you. You can only imagine during the Civil War when they were praying, there's that group praying to God, please help us keep our slaves. You can only imagine God's answer of, yeah, good luck with that prayer, losers. You know, it's, it's, you're on the wrong side. When I was in college, I wanted to make the Olympic wrestling team. So now, so, um, now I'm, you know, 19, 20 years old. I'm praying like crazy to God, help me make this Olympic team. But I have nothing but problems. I'm hurting my shoulder. I'm hurting my knee. I'm constantly out, constantly having health problems, looking up to God saying, why won't you help me? Through that process, I ended up seeing a doctor who gave me an anti-inflammatory medication, and it gave me a bleeding ulcer, which is is not uncommon with anti-inflammatory drugs. And so I had to go see a chiropractor and and a nutritionist. And so this chiropractor and this nutritionist changed my life. I changed my diet. I got everything in alignment, and I got well. My ulcer went away. The pain went away. I didn't make the Olympic team, but I became an All-American. I came in second one year trying to make an Olympic team. So I did pretty well. But more importantly, I ended up making it to four Olympics as the team chiropractor for the USA wrestling team. So as God is not answering my prayer to be a wrestler and probably not make it or maybe make it one time or something, I've been to four now as the team doctor. And our group, actually, of Maximized Living Doctors, we work with several of the Olympic teams and travel all over the world with them every single year as their performance doctors. And as Pastor said, 
uh, I'm, I'll be at the uh, Tampa Bucks game tomorrow night, and they want to talk to us about being their doctor. So God um, was saying, listen, you're, you're asking the wrong thing. That's not the side I have you on. You want to be one of the athletes. I want you to be one of the doctors. So we've got to get on the right side. The Bible says in Romans 8.28 that if you love God and you've been called according to his purposes, if you're on his side, then all things are always working together for your good. And it may not seem that way. I could tell you I had a week this week. certainly didn't seem like things were working out for my good. But I can't, you can't tell, I know I can't tell, what God is orchestrating all over the world on your behalf, but the Bible says it works that way. So whatever the storms are right now, whatever the challenges are, I mean, if you've got kids, there's stuff going on. If you're married, there's stuff going on. If you're a bus- in a business or a business owner, there's always challenges going on. I don't think I ever have a week where there's not something kind of going wrong But it helps me to know that because I love God and I'm fighting his fight because I'm working according to his purposes, it's all working out in the end for my good. And since that's true, if it hasn't worked out, then it's not the what? It's not the end because it's all going to work out in the end for people that are working for God if you've chosen that side. The third one, uh, another just critical one. This is actually my favorite. Because of what I do, this is my favorite um, step in having this unfair advantage. You know, uh, when I was in college, I had this buddy named John, and John was the, he was the biggest guy, like, in the world. Like, he just, he was enormous. He's like 300 pounds, and he's shredded. Nobody messed with John. When John walked in a room, uh, all the rules of life changed, like, all laws changed, just because everybody had to deal with how big John was. Well, one time, we were walking through a restaurant. We'd gone out to eat. And it was one of these really crowded restaurants, and apparently I had bumped the chair of this big, huge man. And he stood up, and he grabs me and, like, wants to fight me because I bumped his chair. And, I, you know, this guy was probably 250 pounds to my 140 pounds. And so I'm looking up thinking, where can I run or can I kick a knee out or something? Like, I'm thinking, what can a little person do right now? You know, that's, that's what's going through my mind. And, and I'm concerned because he was really mad. And John walks up to me, and he walks up behind me, puts his arm around me, and says, he's with me. And the guy said, well, that's not fair. It's two against one. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I kind of like it unfair. This is, this is better for me. And nobody, again, wants to mess with John. And so the point being is, you know, in this life of an unfair advantage, when we're looking to have the edge in our fight for our various causes, we have somebody in Jesus that comes alongside of us. And Jesus, as big as John was, I'll take Jesus in that fight. When I was talking to, uh, to the kids in wrestling about this, you know, they like the X-Men and Wolverine, and actually the Wolverine movie had just come out. I said, as powerful as those guys are, I'll take Jesus in that fight. That we've got somebody powerful that comes alongside of us. And there's something interesting, though, that the Bible says. If I asked you to point to Jesus right now, where, where would you point? Where, 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 where are you inclined to point? Point up. But some of the people did what? They did this. So, yes, he's up there, but what's interesting, and this is one of those things you may never fully understand as a human, in the Bible it says he's where? It says he's here. So, whatever we walk up to, whatever we're dealing with, Jesus is right here. He says, I'm with my Father, I'm in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And I love what Paul says. Paul says, um, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's what? It's Christ that lives within me. 
That's powerful to know that when you walk around. This is really good when I first started speaking because I, I used to be deathly afraid of speaking in public. Like my body would shut down, my voice would shut down, my face would turn bright red. People would get concerned. Like it would look like I was going to pass out or something and that would make me more nervous because I'd see them going, wow, is he going to be okay? Like, and I'm like, oh my God, now I'm really freaking out. And so, so that's how it used to be for me. And then I was, I was asked to, I wrote the book and they wanted me to be on TV. I'm like, now it's not just a few dozen people in a room. Now there are millions of people watching. And so I was really freaking out. What somebody taught me was just these very scriptures that when you show up, Jesus is looking to speak in you and through you, that you get to show up with Jesus. And suddenly I stopped being nervous about speaking in public because I'm like, Jesus, uh, go ahead. <laughs> you, you do your thing. I, I don't, I'm not good at this, but you are. And so we, that, that's how this thing works. I love what Paul said when he was preaching for the, or, or praying for the Ephesians. He says, um, I, I just want you to know the power that's available to those of us who believe. The power that's available. And that's what this third step's about, is to know that there's this great power available to you who believe. Not because you're so strong or you're so smart, but because Jesus lives in you. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I know that there's, I have a lot of shortcomings to me in the world, including just frankly being short. But greater is he that is in me. I've got this giant in me, bigger than Big John, that, that is able to do amazing things. In fact, Ephesians tells us that, or uh, am I getting that right? What's the next one? Next slide. Yes, it is Ephesians. It says, um, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine through the power that has worked where? That has worked within us. So I know as, when I was in that room praying, I was in Chicago praying for this little girl with cancer. I know there's this power in her. So the doctors are saying there's no chance. This cancer spread everywhere. The tumors are huge. This little three-year-old girl has no chance. And I know that there's something that's immeasurably greater than that. They can't measure it right now. It's not within their thought process to figure out how this girl can get over cancer, but I know there's something immeasurably greater that works inside of her. There's a power that can heal that cancer, and I've seen it many, many times. In John 18, there's a, there's a description of this, and this is, a, this is a great one for wrestlers like me. This is where Judas is now going to uh, go after Jesus with his, with his posse there. And he shows up and realizes Jesus is praying in his normal prayer spot on the mountain. And to go get this one rabbi, Judas brings, it says he brings um, the soldiers and, and, the, and the, the police, this is who we bring. So the soldiers realize this is going to be roughly three to 600 guards from the Tower of Antonia. These are the elite fighting soldiers of the day. They're going to come with the latest weaponry of that time. And then the, the, the police, the, the temple police, this would be like the SEAL team. This would be like the SWAT team of the temple police. So this is who he brings for one guy. This is kind of overdoing it, it would seem, Right? And when they get there, what's really interesting is they say, who are you? And he says, I am. And the Bible says they fell down backwards. And if you look at what that word fell backwards, if you look at that meaning in the Greek, it's pipto shemai, which means they fell back dead. So essentially, if you, if you ever watch uh, MMA fighting or boxing or anything, and when somebody gets hit on the button and they just collapse down and fall down hard like they're dead... That's what happened when he said, I am. 
So maybe they were a little unmanned, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he did heal the sick. He did raise the dead. He did cast out demons. He did turn water into wine. He did walk on water. And he did feed thousands of people with a couple of gefilte fish and some pita bread. And so he is a pretty powerful guy. In fact, he said in Matthew 26, 53, that he could call down 12 legions of angels and that he had that kind of power at his disposal. Now, one legion is 6,000. In Isaiah, one angel wipes out 185,000 people. And he was able to call down 72,000, he said, in Matthew there. So if you do the math, that's 13 billion people he could wipe out with just calling it down. That's the power that's inside of you. That's pretty powerful. Now, right now, you might be saying, I don't feel powerful. Uh, You may think, well, I've never felt the power of Jesus working inside of me. You don't want to go by what you're feeling. You know what I mean? Feeling is fleeting. Uh, You can't count on feelings from one minute to the next. We were having a lot of fun at the hotel last night, and then the next thing I know, both kids are crying. Like that, It was like within seconds. You want to go with what you know. There's a point where uh, somebody's child is having seizures, and, and, and he says to Jesus, um, you know, I believe, but help my disbelief. We want to go by what we know. And what we know is what the Bible says. And the Bible says that Jesus is in you. And the Bible says that Jesus is powerful. That's what we want to go with. Because literally the same power that flowed through him that was able to knock down an entire elite fighting force that could call down 72,000 angels and wipe out 13 billion people flows through you. So when you approach your problems this week, when you address sickness this week, when you walk up to to people that are, are... not acting appropriately this week, when you deal with, with a boss or the people at work or you have to handle a, a financial issue, realize you walk up there and Satan quivers because of the power of Christ in you. That's your unfair advantage. As we go to take on our lifestyle, as we get to our final slide here, and this is one we're not going to go over today. This is, this is uh, the fourth step. We're going to talk about this one in February, like Pastor was talking about. This is what we call our one-two punch, and this is what we don't want to forget. That yes, there's ways we have to act. There's things we have to do uh, to train and prepare. There's an there's a old joke where a rabbi and a priest go to a prize fight. And before the fight starts, one of the fighters crosses himself. And the rabbi says to the priest, what's that for? And the priest says, it's not for nothing if the boy don't know how to fight. That we've got to be preparing and training. And this gives us what we call the one-two punch. Because there's this inherent power of Jesus working in and through you. This supernatural power, this spiritual power. That's the greatest punch. But then there's the things that we need to do for our lives to work out. Things we need to do to be healthy, to overcome illness, be a success at work and at home and everywhere else that's important. That's the one-two punch when you put those together. If we want to really have this incredibly unfair fight. Is that making sense to everybody? And so in this particular scripture, Jesus says that, the, that we got to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and what else? With all of our strength. And that's, that's this last part I always, of course, want to finish with is the strength part, your physical health. If we were to go off the top of a 10-story of a building and pray to God saying, uh, catch me and then jump, well, God can do anything and he may very well catch you. However, more than likely, you run into the laws of physics that God set up. 
and you'll find out something called the law of terminal velocity, where you reach about 120 miles per hour in the first three seconds or so. And you'll also see what happens when human matter uh, hits the ground. Uh, you'll find out that the ground doesn't mind and you don't matter. <laughs> and in fact, real quickly, you'll get to go meet God in heaven and, and you can ask him, God, why didn't you catch me? And he'll say, well, I gave you a brain, an eighth grade physics teacher dummy that told you not to jump. And it's the same thing with our, with our lifestyle, that if we're not putting the right things in our body in terms of food, if we're not getting any exercise, if we're stressed all the time, we're toxic, if our spines are deteriorating, if all these things are going on, this kind of destructive lifestyle works against the health and physical laws that God set up, and, and, and it's a shame, because I can tell you that um, the passion behind this ministry, I, I, I had a local practice that was doing very well, and then my, when I was um, very young, in my mid-20s, my dad died of a heart attack at the age of 50. And it changed my perspective on life. It's what made me do something all over the world because I knew so many people weren't doing what it took to stay alive and be well, to fulfill their destiny, to win their race. Uh, my dad lifestyled himself to death. It was, it was the choices he was making that led to that. So his dying young and our suffering wasn't necessary. In fact, you know, I, I, as I tell you this, I still suffer, and this is almost 20 years ago. And so we don't want that to happen to you. We want you guys to make the right choices. I want you to not just, uh, not just finish the race, but I want you to win the race. So I, I hope everybody will be back with us um, in February. It was just a joy to be with you here this morning. Uh, you really do have an amazing advantage being a Christian and part of this church. I want to tell you that if you make a decision to be with Jesus, he does come along right beside you no matter where you walk up to. Uh, he says, uh, he or she is with me. In fact, uh, Jesus is right there inside of you. Bless you guys. Thank you. Have a great day.